0: Hi everyone, Kristen Walker and Dave Vallenberger here, hosts of the Business of Mental Health. Our guest today is Michael Garrett. He is the President and Chief Executive Officer of CNS Healthcare. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: So, Dave Vallenberger, my trusty um, co-host, what is it that you wanted to talk about today with
2: Michael? Well, I think where I'd like to start first is give Michael an opportunity to talk a little bit about his agency, Community Network Services, and what they do. And I'm particularly interested in um, CNS has a clinic that they operate. And I know Michael's definitely going in the direction of integrated care um, and to hear a little bit more about that. And just in general, Michael, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what CNS does and how long you've been there.
1: Absolutely. Uh, CNS Healthcare is a 501c3 non for profit organization, and we've been in business uh, close to 25 years. Uh, we specialize in providing a full array of behavioral health care services, which include psychiatry, therapy, uh, case management, um, and a whole suite of evidence-based uh, practices. We also have uh, two clubhouses and two drop-in centers, or what's called psychosocial rehab. Uh, We also are a fully licensed substance use disorder uh, provider, and we treat adults and children uh, with mental illness. Uh, We service about 11,000 patients and consumers uh, each year uh, in the southeastern Michigan uh, region, and I have been the CEO for the last uh, seven years uh, at CNS Healthcare. And one of the things that I'm particularly proud of is the progress that we've made um, in integrated care. One of our largest service sites located in Waterford, Michigan, is actually a co-located integrated partnership with the federally qualified uh, health system um, that we've been engaged with for about five years. We service about 1,200 patients um, in common, and it really achieves the outcome that I believe was set forth in the Affordable Care Act, where now we can treat the entire person coming in the door, uh, regardless of whether you have a mental health condition or a physical health care or primary health care um, condition. And I think it really achieves better outcomes uh, for the people that we serve. So it's one of the things that I'm very proud of. OK,
2: yeah, that's that's real interesting, because a lot of um, programs don't have that piece. And um, I, I think that's definitely the way this whole thing is going to go. Uh, when the system goes through change, usually there's an upside and a downside, you know, and we talk about value-based payment, and, of course, you read things that are written by certain people, and it's all an upside. Um, what do you see as the upside of value-based payment?
1: Value-based payment, um, the upside, and it's kind of funny you want to start with that, but I totally understand why. <laughs> the that, and And there is an upside. Don't get me wrong. There is an upside value based payment models are still fairly new um in in the country and i haven't seen a lot of them implemented um at least successfully to this point although there are studies out there that say 59% of all payment models particularly on the pu- public side are going to be value based payment models by 2020 i'm a little skeptical of that but we'll see but getting back to your mm-hmm. question about the about the upside um the upside uh for uh Providers and for the payers is that it does allow payers to get a handle on the cost of health care um, in the system. Um, it allows payers to define or uh, define a certain patient population to a provider or a doctor's office, which they also call which they call providers in exchange for a set fee or set rate of reimbursement for that population. So from a cost containment standpoint, it would allow healthcare costs to kind of stabilize um, across the country if everybody went to a value-based payment um, model. It also allows the payer to set certain outcomes or benchmarks for providers to hit uh, as it relates to the care that they provide to their patients. Uh, So some would argue that that could actually increase the quality of services uh, in the system as well.
2: Do you think it will?
1: I'm very skeptical about it. If I'm being honest, I'm very skeptical about it. Because one of the things that it does is it places all of the onus um, on the healthcare care uh, uh, provider. Now, mm-hmm. you will get in, in exchange for and what you do get is you do get a defined patient population or defined set of covered lives that you're responsible for. And in most cases, that could be more people that you're providing care for than you currently do. And you're compensated for that larger group of people with this kind of uh, fixed reimbursement uh, that you get for this group. The problem is is that healthcare costs are not always static. Um, some people may be healthy this year and not be healthy next year, uh, for mm-hmm. example, and require a lot of complex uh, medical interventions. But your payment model, doesn't take that into account. So for providers, the downside risk is actually quite substantial. If you have a a good year, and a good year meaning that you actually um, have some type of margin on the dollars that you're paid for by the payer, um, you do have the opportunity to keep some of that and share some of those savings with the payer. But if you have a particularly bad year with regard to your health care costs and the population that you're in charge of, Um, It could actually put you out of business if the losses are substantial enough, so the downside risk is is, is pretty tremendous Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, no, I would um, I would agree with that now what you hear about in some of the models That are being discussed and I noticed with CNS you provide a wide array of services Um, do you see it where if we go to a value-based payment model where you'll you'll have what I would call like-minded partners or value-based partners that might provide some of these services and that CNS would work with other agencies in terms of putting together a treatment plan for an individual?
1: Well, I think you'd have to. I think you'd have to have a diverse array of partners that can cover the entire spectrum of any services that a person walking through the door um, would need. Um, now, that doesn't mean that all of the services have to be mutually exclusive between each provider. You could have a number of physical healthcare providers in your mm-hmm. consortium as well as you can have a number of behavioral healthcare providers in your consortium. One of the things that as a group that you have to be conscious of, if you're going to manage a value-based payment model or value-based um, payment system as a collective, you have to make some really tough choices. And those tough choices, as far as I see, for example, Dave, if you had your own behavioral or health organization and I have mine, we'd have to really make some tough choices as to who's going to provide what. Maybe right. we determine that, you know, your organization is able to provide case management services far more efficiently than my organization is. Maybe my organization is able to provide the psychiatry and the therapy services a lot more efficiently than your organization. So it's going to have to be a close collaboration to ensure that the providers or the group as a collective succeed rather than focusing on those individual goals. Now, that's going to be a really big kind of seismic shift in mindset for a lot of organizations uh, going forward, but I think it's something that needs to be done.
2: Yeah. I I mean, I personally, having worked in um, human services for a long time in a lot of different agencies, I can see... Some agencies having a really difficult time with this, you know, in terms of being willing to say that, you know, agency A could provide something more efficiently than I can. um, So therefore I'm not going to provide it anymore because what the insurance companies, I know we had a meeting with um, Blue Cross Blue Shield in Iowa and the medical director Mm -hmm. for that basically said, if we need ACT team services and there's 18 ACT teams, and we only have enough people needing those services for two teams. We're not buying from the other 16. You know, we're going to buy it's, those that we think can provide that service.
1: It's it, it's a harsh reality, and um, it's something that people may have to to to, to get used to. Um, you know, as 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 the more that we flesh this out. Um, my my personal opinion on value based is i do think there are better ways to do it um to accomplish the same goals that the healthcare industry wants which is basically controlling costs and increasing um uh patient outcomes w- and which ultimately result in a healthier population i'm just not quite certain that, and don't get me wrong value based payment methodologies always have their have their place and there are some benefits to it but i don't i, I wouldn't want Organizations out there to think it's going to be the panacea, the you know the magic bullet, the silver bullet that's going to end all of the issues that that kind of plague the um, healthcare system in this country.
2: Yeah, I would I would agree with that very much because in my reading and researching, one of the things I found was that in a lot of the primary care offices and large primary care programs um, they're about fifty percent value based and fifty percent fee for service um uh, because they're not absolutely sure that value-based payments going to be around
1: correct correct there are other uh methodologies and modalities out there that i think probably better fit um uh, you know where the industry wants to go on and quite frankly needs to go um you know the downside risk for providers and there's one thing that i think people are overlooking and i know you didn't ask this question but i think one of the things that people overlook about value-based payment systems is I think that it could result in a shrinking of available services um, mm-hmm. to people. Quite frankly, value-based payment models are going to put a lot of current providers you know, kind of out of business, either through inefficiencies in their own organization or a lack of adapting um, you know, to the changes uh, that are coming, which, which ultimately was going to result in less uh, patient choice. Um, you know, uh, for for practitioners. So I think that's kind of, that might be an unintended consequence of a value-based payment system as well.
2: Yeah, I I would agree with that too, that there's probably going to be less of some things. Um, The other thing I wanted to ask you about too was, and I find this very interesting with your clinic, your medical clinic. um, Are you envisioning that you're going to build care plans that are going to incorporate both uh, be, be, both the, the behavioral health side and the primary care side.
1: Absolutely, and that's the ultimate goal. Um, the federal governments, um the uh, SAMHSA, the um, one of the uh, departments of the federal government, Department of Health and Human Services, um, has an integration scale, and I think it goes at least the one that I saw. It might be more levels than six, but the last one I saw. Went to six levels of integration, starting at zero with six being the highest. Um, in order to reach that highest level of integration, organizations have to not only share common space in the same facility, but you also have to share electronic health records as well. And if you're talking about, from as far as I'm concerned, the gold standard of patient care, is when the physical healthcare side and the behavioral healthcare side can start interchanging and have access to each other's data real time mm-hmm. you would you would absolutely revolutionize the state of of, of healthcare um uh, in 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 this country and that is something yep. that i definitely want CNS healthcare to be on the the, the forefront of because i think that's going to be you know kind of the you know the really next quantum leap in healthcare do you think you're far from that Actually, I don't think so. Um, it's one of the things that we have been pushing, and some of these things that we try and do require legislative approval um, yeah. as well with getting uh, broader access to a a wider array of practitioners to be able to uh, do certain procedures and, and, and things of that nature. A lot of mm-hmm. these things require law changes um yeah. and we've been fairly successful in talking to legislators and getting them to understand that the more types of disciplines that you let in the door can help to lower the cost and they can also improve access uh, uh to care uh, for patients um mm-hmm. having having those care plans i i, I think is something that is going to be life-saving for um a number of people now we've all heard about the opioid crisis um, Uh, In the country. Right now, our doctors and psychiatrists have to be extremely careful um, about how we prescribe certain um, types of medications, benzodiazepines, for example. Um, If a person, if if a patient presents himself, we don't have access to their primary care uh, information. If a person is on some heavy opioid use, from their uh, primary care doc, and unbeknownst, a psychiatrist out there provides the same person with the benzodiazepine based on um, his assessment of their needs, those could have fatal drug interaction consequences, for example. Right. Yeah. So having an integrated um, uh, electronic health record and having uh, uh, physical health care and behavioral health care joint care plans for people, I think it can actually saves lives. Uh, down the road.
2: No, I, I, think you're, I think you're right. And one of the things I'm seeing too, as we you know, do things around the country, is that in some states, and I don't think quite so much in Michigan, but in some states, the government actually dictates um, what's going to happen in a treatment program, for example, in substance abuse programs. And mm-hmm. if I'm going to be, share risk, and if I'm going to have to be accountable for what happens with these folks as they go through my program. It's like you said about changing laws. It almost seems like I would be able to do what I think is the best treatment for people, not necessarily what uh, the governor thinks.
1: The, the the government cannot have it both ways, David. You can't you can't you know have a provider on the hook for 100% controlling costs and be at full risk. For patient outcomes and for patient costs, if you're not going to be 100% control of the, the the care management for that person, That's right. I couldn't agree. I could not agree with you more. You can't you can't hold me 100% accountable um, when I can't and I'm, when I'm not free to make 100% of the decisions. Something yeah, absolutely have to give.
2: Yeah, I think the same thing happens. You know, in terms of fee for service, there's always been somewhat of a limitation on how much of what service you can provide somebody Um, so a lot of those things are going to have to change if you're actually going to be really hold a provider accountable then they have to be able to do what you know what what they think is best the other thing about this too is the whole part about demonstrating that a person has made improvement Um, how do you current do you currently try to do that or how do you do that at cns
1: well One of the things that um because we do have we do um uh, have uh, relationships with a a number of um different types of pairs and all of them require something a little bit different um you know with our contracts with them one of the things uh, that that we've done and that we've begun to do is the heatless measures um you know when you start talking about Uh, uh, BMI, a person's waist circumference, blood Mm -hmm. pressure levels, glucose levels, things of that nature. Some of our uh, contractual arrangements have called for us to be able to make meaningful gains in a person's baseline for their HEDIS measures over the course um, of treatment. Now, we've been more successful um, than most at Uh, reducing people's comorbid risk factors when they come in uh, and and, and choose to sustain treatment with CNS healthcare. We actually have Mm -hmm. published data that shows that we've been able to um, decrease um, uh, blood pressure uh, um, in our patients by 40% um over the course of a year pretty good now yeah uh, I, I don't i don't know about other people's data out there but we have hard and fast numbers you know to prove that and i don't know that there's anybody else out there that's been able to have that type of impact on a pop on our population um ever no i and haven't. It's really, I, I have
2: i've not heard of anyone
1: yeah, I'm I'm extremely proud of that. We we presented that to one of our contracting bodies um a few months ago and they were astounded at the progress we were able to make. But to answer your question about uh how do we measure helping people get better, that's one of the ways um that we do it. One of the other, other ways that we do it is we have levels that we assess people in when they come in for treatment. Um it's called the locus scale and it usually goes from one to, it goes mm-hmm. from one to five or actually one to six with six being some type of inpatient hospitalization. We've been able to monitor how many people we've been able to kind of move down that locus scale Mm -hmm. from from level six to five, five to four, four to three, you know, et cetera, with the goal moving you down to one or two where you can live independently and with um, Mm -hmm. limited clinical interaction, you can uh, resume a normal uh, 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 daily life. Uh, We keep statistics, statistical measures like that um, as well. We also measure um, or track people's uh, employment, how long they're Mm -hmm. able to sustain gainful employment um, in the community. Um, So we, I think, are probably a little bit ahead of the curve. uh, Well, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Sounds like Measures and outcome, but there needs to be more of that across the board. Yeah.
2: Now I know you're not a social worker, but I do have a kind of a social worky kind of question.
1: Sure.
2: Um,
0: wh- I like when that people... so, social worky. That's that's a new term.
1: <laughs> we're coining new phrases, huh, David? Okay. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Hashtag social <laughs> yeah. Work-y. Well, while well,
2: well, we're on the phone call, you know, yeah, uh, you know, I I I hear what you're saying about the medical needs, but how are you demonstrating improvement in behavioral health as far as let's say a substance abuser comes in, and uh, they're they're co-occurring and you're dealing with both mental health and substance abuse. And I know you're able to do those, because I see you have both of those programs on your website. Um, how mm-hmm. are you demonstrating improvement with those folks over the long term?
1: Well, using that example, if we if we come across somebody, for example, that comes in um, that has a co-occurring disorder and their substance use disorder uh, issues are high, we can definitely enroll that person into our intensive outpatient treatment Uh, program Mm -hmm. uh, for substance use disorders and we also have a team uh, dedicated to people who have those co-occurring disorders. For me Mm -hmm. I measure success by are we able to step that person down from the daily intensive outpatient treatment for SUD disorders to something a lot less frequent and maybe enroll them uh, into monthly or bi-monthly therapy um, sessions uh, for SUD. Rather than the intensive settings um, that we would initially start with, so as we measure moving that person down from the level of intensity of services we provide, I would view that as a as a, as a success in helping that person uh, achieve their recovery goals.
2: Okay, and Michael, would you also? And I guess I'm thinking in terms of um, value-based, you know, a value-based treatment plan, not so much a, you know, we, we we've talked about the payment side of it but in a treatment plan that's value based um for example if someone comes into your program they're co-occurring and they don't have a place to live or you know they're they're on the street um if you had a like-minded partner or a value based partner that provided housing i could see where you could help that individual get into housing and then still continue to provide supportive services to them while they're doing that so they stay there
1: absolutely as part of their initial assessment we do an individual plan of service um Mm -hmm. for the person and in that plan of service we put goals outcome goals um for their treatment and you're right housing is one of the major issues um that we're faced with for a lot of the people that we serve um Mm -hmm. it's difficult there are lots of community resources um out there, but trying to match the appropriate setting to the person's needs at the time sometimes can be difficult. Um, yeah, as we go, yeah. right, at yep. So we have to rely on community partners that have specialized expertise um, in that area so that we can quickly assist people to try and find the best possible housing um, options that are suited um, to, to their condition.
2: Yeah, and I guess um, for me anyway, as you know, I am a social worker, but, and having done this for a lot of years, that a lot of times what happens is, is someone comes in, they come in for their their therapy session, and then, of course, they leave, and nobody really knows what they do when they leave, and um, when they come back, you hope they tell you the truth about what their behavior was, or what they did, or if they used, or whatever, um and i mm-hmm. think almost in terms of developing support systems for people in the community that value based care does lead to that if you do it correctly um in terms of setting up a model where um there's actually progressive care that involves your agency as well as others we have a agency in arizona that has um 15 what they call like minded partners that a person Mm -hmm. could participate and and then they also what they do what they do is outpatient services outpatient treatment but they use other agencies and i was looking at some of their data because i can do that and um i noticed that a lot of the people that were being sent out to these other agencies were the very very difficult people and i'm wondering if you know you've got that kind of population at the bottom who are the very very chronically mentally ill and i get concerned that agencies aren't going to want to deal with those people anymore because in a value-based model it's about making progress uh sometimes with that group progress is very very incremental
1: well i think whenever you service uh, a large population you're going to have some people who are going to be on the extreme ends of these other of, of the spectrum um I don't think there's 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 any getting away with that, and there are some people um just like you know there are statistics in the mental health industry that shows that twenty percent of the population use 70 percent of the resources or um, yep. uh, better um I think to your point of having like minded partners um i don't think there's any one organization out there that can do it all um, you have to have. If you're going to create efficiencies, you have to have a group of individuals, a group of organizations, like you said, like-minded organizations that have expertise in, in many different um, specialties. Uh, when we wanted to do integrated care, um, I was not about to recreate the wheel and try and start build my own hospital um, or try and learn the lessons of primary care. I sought out a partner. Um, same thing with, with any other discipline. Um, that might be out there. Um, I think that's a far more uh, integrated, uh, innovative and um, uh, efficient way uh, to go. Mm-hmm.
2: How do you see value-based payment? I know you work in Oakland County and Wayne County. Um, how do you see it playing out in those two counties?
1: I hope it doesn't. If I'm being honest. <laughs> uh, I, 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 hope, I hope it doesn't um, because my fear is Um, there's going to be some unintended consequences um, that could negatively uh, impact patient care and patient choice um, Mm -hmm. going forward. I think that if if it's, and, and the reason I say that is because oftentimes organizations don't use collaborative approaches when trying to build new models. If there was a collaborative approach and you sat down all of the stakeholders together, it doesn't just have to be the authorities and the, and the organizations. I'm talking about families. I'm talking about patients or uh, the people that we serve together and say, hey, this is the current state of our system. What are some of the things that we, that we need to see out of it? How can we make it better? And how can we design a structure that creates a win-win? for everybody. I don't think that's out of the realm um, uh, uh, of possibility. Well, I don't either, but do you think that's really going to happen? Well, to be honest, uh, I've been in this system 25 years and it hasn't happened yet. So... <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's going to require yeah. massive, massive legislation to make something like that happen?
1: The, the likely... somewhat to, to your point, someone is going to have to force it. Mm -hmm. um to happen Mm -hmm. there's going to have to be some type of event or or threat um that says hey we really need to get our act together as uh, you know as a system there's nothing off the table let's sit down and and figure this out but i do agree with you a voluntary move to something um that revolutionary is probably not likely to happen but i can yeah i
2: definitely agree with that yeah yeah, somebody's gonna have to force it. And um hopefully it would be because, you know, like if Oakland County forces something and then Wayne County forces something, you don't know if those somethings are gonna be the same. Most likely they'll be different.
1: And I I think really, categorically they're gonna be different.
2: <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and it'll definitely not be an improvement in the care system. It'll just be another Correct. way of shuffling around the money.
1: Um, and I think that's the most dangerous part. In a lot of ways, I think we've kind of lost sight of you know what's kind of most important um, in this system, and that's caring for the providing care for the people that we serve. Um, mm-hmm. But you can't ignore the business interests, you know, as well. And I understand that, um, but I do think there's kind of a, a better there's a better way to build this mousetrap um, than the direction yeah. that we're currently going. Yes,
2: I I would agree with that. Okay. Christy, you're going to wind us up. I think Michael and I are done. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Or wind you down, you mean?
2: Well, wind us down. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Everyone take a deep breath from the gut. No, I'm kidding. Um, Michael, thank you so much for coming on. Tell our listeners where they can find out more about you.
1: Well, since we are in the uh, age of uh, of uh, electronic media, please go to our website at www.cnshealthcare.org. And again, www.cnshealthcare.org. You can learn all about our services, who we are, our locations. And I'm sure that whatever the issue is, we can definitely find some way to um, assist you.
0: Fantastic. Thank you, gentlemen. Sometimes I'm passive aggressive. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you, girl. After all, we promised we'd be cordial Sometimes in oh, you I can fight it. it Good boy!